This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. This interview is a special segment of Author Talk sponsored by Stratford Publishing. The title of the book, Just Before, the Memory and Sensory Enhancement Guidebook. And the author is Jeff Schoner, and Jeff joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Steve. How are you? Give us an overview of the book and why you wrote it. Well, the book is a memory and sensory enhancement guide, as it says in the title. I work with uh, doctors who work with uh, Parkinson support and stroke support, and I realized that uh, through exercises, through exercises, through the general aspects of working with some of these people, that their their memories were they weren't holding on to their memories or retaining things as as easily as they might have. So, with the help of my wife, we came up with really a fun. It's both a workbook and a playbook that helps people recall information, helps them recall their own experiences, and then in a real sense kind of takes them through time. For example, there's a question about um, as a very young child, Steve, do you remember your, your favorite toy? Do I remember? Yes. My favorite toy. Let's see. I can remember playing in the backyard in a sand pile with army figures and army stuff because my father was in the military. Very cool. So when um, and it, it so you remember the figures specifically, and do you remember if they had smooth edges or sharp edges? Oh, they they had sharp edges. Yeah, they were plastic, and you know, had trucks and army trucks and army soldiers, and you know, I would sit out there and play war, I guess. <laughs> well, that, that's that's very cool, and and a lot of us did. Uh, I had my own set also. I've had a civil war set, but that's a, that's a <laughs> whole other thing. The um, it's kind of interesting because first of all, it's probably been a very long time since you've even thought of that. Oh yes, I mean, if you hadn't, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have think of th- think of that unless somebody asked me. Exactly. Now, if I asked you. Um, when you were in your teens or in your early 20s, did you have a favorite toy? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, I don't know if you call it a toy, but my skis, because I skied a lot. Cool. So one of the questions in the book around that is, is it the same toy? Ah. So there's an aspect there of growth mm-hmm. and and development, and, and all of a sudden, while you were thinking about the Army guys and... and now you're thinking about the skis and the different ski experiences you had, and, and it just kind of wakes up your mind. And, and if I were to ask questions around, like the first time you went skiing, and, and some of the some of the things you felt, some of the things you saw, some of the things you heard, it kind of wakes up different areas of your brain. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Right now, I'm thinking about uh, how afraid I was going the first time skiing. I remember, you know, thinking I was going to hurt myself. Right. And that's why I put just before, because if you if you consider the experience just before, the, the anticipation, a little anxiety, all that other stuff is 
yet another experience that kind of encircles or widens the experience itself. When you figure I was skiing the first time, like 1955. <laughs> oh, oh man, those bindings were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you're going up rope toes and you're falling down, the rope's dragging you up the slope, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have my own stories for that too. So the elements of, but the elements of this book is, is if I were to take you through like several of those questions, it's kind of interesting because Again, there's things that you don't think about every day. But as as you were just telling me about the rope toes and all of, all of that other stuff, it brought it back to life. So that if you were about to share that that aspect of your life with somebody else, it's it's full, it's robust, and it's part of the tapestry of what made Steve or how Steve became Steve. Well, then you see pictures in your mind. As soon as you started asking me, I saw pictures. Right. When I also asked you about uh, what did you hear, I'm sure when you first when you first got on, you heard the motor the, the, the motor of the tow rope, maybe the shush of your ski, the crunching of the snow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the cold. Now, yes. Right. You the, the, you felt the cold, so it's the kinesthetic of the cold. It's the Crunching of the snow, so it's the auditory component. Isn't that cool? It is. I mean, you're taking me to places that I've never, I mean, I haven't thought about these things for a long, long time. And it's interesting the way I'm feeling right now. That There's a little bit of excitement. Exactly. And it's also very interesting because if you were to, if you were to meet somebody for the first time, I, I don't know your, your, I don't know your situation, whether or not you're married or, or you're looking for somebody. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to realize the depth of a person or a person's experiences really very rapidly? And how do you do that? Well, that was one of the outgrowths of this book. We didn't, know that, <clears throat> we didn't know this at the time. But it's a really fun book for singles. It's not just elements of conversation, but it's real slice-of-life stuff because it's their life. It's, it's a great family book because... You can go to, you can go to an uncle. You can go to a grandmother and and ask certain questions and get answers and learn things that would have just died with time. You say this: there is nothing more fulfilling to me than when an individual goes beyond any limitations they once thought they had. They soon begin to realize that by taking re- more responsibility, life takes on a whole new meaning. Absolutely. Now, that makes sense, and how is that tied to what we're doing right now? That has, that has everything to do with right now in that um, when, a person, when a person truly looks at elements of their life and how certain things developed from other things, they also recognize that there are certain patterns. There are certain patterns where things happen because they might have been a victim of circumstance. And in each one of those circumstances, they might have also had choices that they might have acted upon. There's the responsibility. Yeah, you hear from people who grew up in a very, very uh, traumatic family, in a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, you know, a... My house? 
<laughs> I know. They grew up in a dysfunctional family, and yet it didn't phase them. They just took responsibility and moved ahead. And other people say, well, I couldn't do anything. What could I do? I, this happened to me. Exactly. And, but other people just take charge. Exactly. Exactly. And, and going back through, when a person learns about certain elements of things that they might have done, well, it's not too late. They can still do it in some form. So you're saying that memories, by recalling experiences that we've had, no matter when they happened, as a young child, teenager, young adult, uh, you know, older, that they can help us generate maybe the uh, energy we need to move forward at, at right now. There, there is that as well. There's also the, the common thread to say, my, my life actually stands for something. Mm. And because my life has meaning, I want to I do something a little extra. I want to give a little bit extra. I once, I'm sorry. No, I once, uh, once heard my great uncle years ago who was a natural at growing gardens, but he never would do it. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I mean, he would never t- take the, the big step and go into business because he loved it, but he never had the courage or the, is that, you know, I mean, why wouldn't he do that until after he retired? Again, I had mentioned uh, elements of choice. Um, there were there were certain other choices that he was making. Now, I, I don't know. I don't really know his story. Right. But I do know that. Um, but he was a tremendous success right from the start. After he retired, so, you know, the choice had been made, I guess. Before he, that, he had to make a choice. Or No, it was, that, it, it was really that he had to make a choice, and he made it later in life. Right. It was, he was making choices before, but maybe he, maybe he was making a choice for what he perceived as safety. Working a job for somebody else, or right. whatever it was. Right. Security, so-called security. Yeah. Right. Not, not in today's market. So how does this book then, uh, it puts us through a series of questions to help us to recall memories that will help us today deal with life? It's a combination of that, also a combination of a reassessment of our own life. Now you call it the Fountain of Youth book? It's, it's like the Fountain of Youth in book form. And you just experienced it when I was when we were talking about skiing and and or, or or playing with soldiers. You went back in you went back in your mind to a time and a place where not just you were you were youthful, but things were new. Things were very different. You were just learning things. It's interesting too. At the same time, I thought of a tree plane. Instead of having a tree house, my father built me a tree plane because he was a pilot in World War II, so it was just a slab of plywood up in a tree, mm-hmm. but that was my plane. Exactly. I was off the ground, and I was sitting up there, and I pretend I was flying. Isn't that cool? <laughs> it is cool. It's cool, to, and I can see it. You know, I can see it in my mind. I can see myself sitting on it. Right. You can, you, you can feel it. You can hear Yeah, you, you can feel That's right. You can hear it, all, all the... Yeah, all the above. And that's, that's exactly what my book helps people to do. So it isn't just for those who are mentally challenged. It's for people who, in general. I guess we're all mentally challenged. 
that regard. Yes. Yeah, but it, it really turned out to be a book for everybody. In fact, um, when, we were, when we were doing it, we organized it, and uh, we actually set it up as kind of a, a more of a gift book because um, what greater gift is there to be able to share your life experience with somebody else? Yeah, and you say it, it is within these memories that you may more specifically bring joy and understanding back into your life. Absolutely. And, of course, it's a way to tell your story as a whole. Absolutely. And with, with the new social media, with, with all, this, all this other daily distraction, we forget ourselves. And that's really destructive. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we not just can remember who we are, who our parents were, and just kind of pass that along? So that there's a, there's a continuum and a, and a continuity where life just takes on a whole different meaning. And it's not just, I have a job or, or, or I'm A and put any, any label you want. Well, it's you, don't in- have to, you don't have to be pigeonholed. It's interesting, of course, uh, in today's digital world, that we can take all kinds of pictures. My grandkids were just here. We must have taken 500, mm-hmm. you know, digital pictures. So, you know, we do that because we want to look at those and you know we want to have those memories and yet they're all within us you're saying they're they're right there in our mind we just Absolutely. have to recall them well not only that a lot of times i know i've done this myself you look at a picture and you're like i remember being there but i don't remember it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't a major event in our life so it's just like okay nice picture with this book it even the small events in your life, they, be, they take on a new level of importance because they come back to life and, and they can be shared and explained. When was the last time you told your grandkids about, um, about your, your, your airplane treehouse? Right. Don't think I ever have. Well, there you go. You're right. in a great opportunity. And you say your memories matter. Absolutely. Your life matters. So through your memories, you can have a better appreciation of your life. And just as the example I gave you, your grandkids can have a better understanding of your life. They can, they can now connect with you on very different levels instead of just, oh, grandpa's coming for the holidays kind of thing. Now it's, there was a, there was a time, and I'm sure you still are, where this fun, vibrant person can actually match stories, and play with different generations. It's, it's yet another way to connect, not just to yourself, but to others. That's why I'm very excited about this book. In well, fact, what we're doing for the holidays just is that if um, people come to my website, www.experiencenes.com, if they purchase two, we'll give them a third free. Experiencenes.com. Very good. And can they order the book? I guess they obviously they can order the book right there then off your website. Absolutely. They can also find it on Amazon, but they're not giving that special. <laughs> and they can also get it from Author House. Author House. Yes, they can. Authorhouse.com. Yes, they can. Well, Jeff, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Very, well, very interesting. Well, I'm glad you were I'm glad I was able to speak to you. I'm also even more happy that um, you were able to experience different elements 
that are found within the, space, the pages of the book. And I have to admit, I, I feel something different within me since I just recalled those scenes in my life. That's, that's fascinating. What you, what you literally felt was synaptic connections just kind of waking up. You, you, you literally, everybody who's gone through this literally feels it within their brains. Their brains kind of tingle, and, and it's like, what other memories are there? Kind right. Of Isn't that cool? That is. Well, thanks again. We appreciate well, you being with us. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Thank you again for the interview. That was Jeff Schoner. He is the author of his book, Just Before, the Memory and Sensory Enhancement Guidebook. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Black Men and Blue Water, Historical Context and the Origins of the Stewards, Cooks, and Mess Boys of the U.S. Navy. And the author is Chester A. Wright. And Chester joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Chester. Hello. Good to have you with us. I'm going to read your statement on how you would introduce your book to a friend in a sentence or two. This is what you said. Uh, This is an untold story of black men at sea in American history. Most historians mention casually that they were servants. The truth is that they were fighting men also. So you decided to write this book to set the record straight. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, How did this all come about? Well, the passages, most of the passages in that book do not appear in your naval history. So I dug up uh, what I knew was right, and the book is derived from that, from that research. So this is a history book. Yes. And you go all the way back to... 
Revolutionary, Revolutionary War. War. Tell us a little bit about uh, the African Americans' participation in the Revolutionary War. Well, it, let me tell you something that most people don't know is that one of the worst scourges for men trying to take a cruise to sea was scurvy, the disease of scurvy. And blacks and Indians had a certain immunity to it. They could withstand it better, and they would be working while the white crew members were laid out sick. So this kept the United States Navy open and non-discriminatory for nearly a hundred years. So the black man was much appreciated in the early Navy. Oh, yes. Uh, white uh, officers trying to get a crew to go to sea grabbed everyone they could find, every black he could find. Now, you were a instructor, a naval officer's instructor at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California for seven years, and I guess that's where you started reading all these books about naval history. No, I was always a history buff. Uh, during my 21 years in the Navy, everywhere they take me, they had a good library. I made use of it. And the Navy had pretty good libraries aboard ship. And the Navy wise gathered books for us, you know. So I, I was always a reader. Right from the very start, the African American was involved, involved, like you just mentioned, in the Revolutionary War, also in the War of 1812. Yes. Uh, 40% of the sailors who fought at the Battle of Lake Erie in 18 and 12 were black. Now, they were also stewards, cooks, and mess boys. Now, mess boys, what, what's a mess boy? That's a non-rated member of the stewards branch. See, the stewards branch, like all the other branches, have third class, second class, first class, and chief. The not in the uh, white section, that's just the seaman. In the, the steward section, that's a mess boy, a non-rated man. Was it later on that the, uh, as they're called, later mess men stewards, that they uh, was that changed? That was much later. Much later? Yes. And the idea of discriminating against Negroes uh, came with the coming of the machine age. The uh, coming of the machine age required literacy and um, a certain amount of education. And most of your Negroes didn't have it. So this was a good excuse uh, to downgrade them. And that is when the downgrading of Negroes started. And this downgrading reached its peak in World War One. In World War One, the New United States Navy barred blacks from enlistment at all. Even his servants, they couldn't enlist in the Navy. And this lasted from 1919 until 1932. In 1932, when the Two Ocean Navy was put on the boards, they realized that they probably couldn't get enough Filipinos and uh, Guamanians and Puerto Ricans, in other words, American colonists, and man all of those ships. So they went back and they let, let O'Shine in again. 
1932. Well, what was the official reason stated to not allow African Americans into the Navy during that period? I remember that uh, the Civil War caused white America to have to find a place for freed slaves. And the Navy's place was to reduce them to servants. The Navy was one of the most racist and discriminatory branches of the United States Navy. So the, the uh, trap was already set there to bar Negroes. The, the big society said, put them at the bottom of the social ladder. Well, the bottom of the social ladder in the United States Navy is the mess boys and cooks and stewards, which was all composed all of minorities. After 1932, the African-American was put on a... They were allowed back into the Navy, but it stipulated that they would be servants only. Oh, okay, servants only. They weren't to be official uh, naval in any way a part of the uh, of the Navy rank. That is right. So what changed it? What, what uh, brought about the change? Well, the Negro revolt in this country of the 1960s not only re uh, reached all the institutions in American life, and the military was one of the main targets. The Negro revolt in this country caused the Navy to have to rethink uh, what to do with Negroes, what their place was. And the outcome was that uh, blacks were allowed to be seamen. They opened a base to train them in Great Lakes, Illinois, and um, they were no longer to be restricted to servants only. Are there records of how many African Americans died in the Revolutionary War? It's hard to find. I searched, and I've never been able to find it. Uh, any stories that talk about the number, any, you know, speculation? I haven't found that very little. They do not mention them. It isn't written as, as much as, as the War of 18 and 12, you know? They, um, they did talk about it in the War of 1812? Mm-hmm. How many died there? I don't know the exact number. Well, there were during World War One. There were uh, African American regiments in the army. Oh yes, the army had uh, regiments. And look, um, in the one of the unforgettable characters that uh, should motivate a listener to buy his book, uh, uh, Robert Smalls, a slave, stole the Confederate gunboat Planter and piloted out of the Charleston Harbor and surrendered it to the Union Navy. This occurred during the Civil War. So obviously he was taking his freedom and liberty very seriously. Oh, yes. He was serving the coffee, but he was listening. <laughs> That's for sure. Did he get recognized for that? Oh, yes. It's uh, very frustrating to hear the stories of such discrimination in a land of freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very frustrating, and 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 obviously it it tends to make many angry at the same time. Now, as you look, uh, 
Let me, uh, did you know that the Navy did not allow chief stewards to be chief petty officers mm. until four years after World War II? And they didn't make but one. I was, I was, I was that one. It was 1959 that they made the super grades, E8 and E9, and made a senior chief and a master chief. So you were a petty officer in 1949? Yes. Well, that must have been a long road, and uh, how did you feel when that happened? Well, I said the door is finally open. <laughs> That's I for sure. quite good. I felt that I would be advanced. Not on my race, but on my ability. And did it happen that way? Were you advanced on your ability? Yes, they, the, the Navy opened up the civil rights uh, movement in this country, opened up the Navy just like it did other institutions. But they were kind of changing now. They uh, didn't promote but two master chiefs. And I was one of those. It was about... Um, 10,000 of us in the Navy, <laughs> they promoted two. They didn't promote but one in 1949. So then, Korea, Vietnam, how has the Amer- African-American, his, his uh, status in the Navy, how has it improved? After Vietnam, it got steady easier. Remember, blacks had already been made seamen. They were no longer servants only. In Vietnam, the first war they fought where they really fought as equal. And today, is there just a wide open opportunity then for African Americans in the Navy finally? Yeah, everywhere but the officers' ranks. You know, they uh, still kind of chinky with the officers' ranks. But then Annapolis opened up and blacks started going to Annapolis. So. That way you couldn't stop him from being an officer. If you get into Annapolis and graduate, he was already an officer. How would you like to conclude talking about your book? What closing thoughts might you have about your book? Well, that's a dream to get to get the book introduced in that wide area. That's a dream of mine because I want black children to really read this book. This book is also written to stop them from apologizing for who they are. And I'm sure it was a challenge finding all the historical sources to support the book. Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, letting all the people know the story. There are white people as well as black ones. They don't know the story of black participation at sea. So I wanted all of them to know the story. Well, Billy Wright, Chester Wright's wife, is going to tell us how to get his book. Yes, you can go on the site www.arthahouse.com and you will be able to purchase the book from them are also www.blackmenandbluewater.com. That's your website? Yes, that's our website. It will send them over to Arthur House where they can purchase the book 
They can also get it from Barnes & Noble online when some people like to go there. And we have an ebook that's coming out very soon. They're working on it now. Billy? Yes. Thank you for sharing where to get the book and tell Chester how much we appreciated him being on Author Talk. I will do that. That was Chester Wright. He is the author of his book, Black Men and Blue Water, Historical Context and the Origins of the Stewards, Cooks, and Mess Boys of the U.S. Navy. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives? is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. This author interview is a special segment of Author Talk, sponsored by Trafford Publishing. The title of the book, Katie Cameron, and the author is Fiona McDonald, and she joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Fiona. Hello, hello. I'm going to read what you wrote, how you would introduce your book to a friend in a sentence or two. You say, this is the story of Katie Cameron and her family, a fast-moving story of historical romantic intrigue and tragedy set against the backdrop of the American Civil War in the 19th century, a tale of constant parties while living a double life of danger and deceit. Katie's unhappy marriage to Frank Dempster and her trip to Scotland when her mother rejects her. 
Yes, I wrote a book about Katie Cameron, and it's all about Katie and her family. It starts off in Inverness, Scotland, where she was born. And uh, when her father dies, her mother is American, and she takes her to live with her cousins in Louisiana. It really starts off at the beginning of the American Civil War, when Katie's about 16. And um, it's just really what happens to Katie with all the adventures and intrigue and things that really happened to her. And um, I really was very interested in the American Civil War in America. And I did actually go into down to New Orleans for a week and visited uh, a lot of museums to get my material. Because um, <clears throat> I really um, like history, whether it's British history, American history, and... Um, also, I also went to um, Baton Rouge and took the opportunity to go and see Magnolia Plantation. Now, this is not a huge, big plantation uh, with acres and acres around. It's quite a small one. And um, the lady who took us around was very, very nice. And um, I think she asked me if, if I could understand the southern accent, but I said I could, so that was good. <laughs> And she could understand your Scottish accent. Oh, yes, I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, we can understand you very clearly. Now, this story starts in the year 1861. That's right, yes. Is there any kind of uh, background that we need to understand to give us a better appreciation of, of your story? Um, <clears throat> well, when, she, she, when her father dies, she's probably about 13, and when she goes to America... Naturally, she goes to school in Louisiana because she's staying with her cousins. And um, she, the, the book actually opens when she's 16 in 1861. And um, she meets the dashing Captain Clark Boyd, who's canvassing for recruits for the army. And um, she meets her at this big party at uh, the Jackson Plantation. And, of course, he goes off to war, etc. And um, a chap that's very, very fond of her called Charles, he, he actually was going to ask her to marry him. But then, of course, he has to go to camp to get trained up. And, um, unfortunately, he, he's killed. Her mother is a rather um, a conceited woman. And she likes to flirt with all the gentlemen. That's Isabel. And she wants she wants to go back down to New Orleans where there's more fun than on a plantation. And um, so they go off in 1863 down to New Orleans. And um, there she meets up with Captain Clark Boyd. And um, she actually has an affair with him. Now, this is uh, Katie's mom, Isabel? Um, Katie's mother's called Isabel. Um, and um, she she's a widow, and um, she's just sort of liking the parties that carry on in, in New Orleans during the war. Um, they have to have an escort because in 1862, um, the Union Army and Navy took over in New Orleans, so they can't go out at night without an escort. So she meets um, Frank Dempster, and he, he's quite fond of her. And um, <clears throat> she's 
doesn't really want to go into a relationship with him, but she quite enjoys his company, etc. And um, there's quite a few things that happen in New Orleans, and um, he hears that Captain Clark Boyd has been killed. And then she finds out that she's pregnant, so um, she's sort of forced to marry Frank Debster because the name can't disgrace the name Cameron. So anyway, she goes to live in Boston, and unfortunately it's an unhappy marriage. And her mother doesn't really want her back, so she comes back to Scotland and starts a new life with her son. And um, she meets Dr. Robert Taylor, who's the doctor up there, and he remembers her from school days, although she can't remember him because he's a lot a bit older than her. And um, she can't marry him because she's still married to Frank, who's back in Boston. But um, she eventually does get married to the doctor, and she does go back to New Orleans for one visit because her mother wants to get... Her mother is actually getting married again. So she goes back there and sees all her cousins, etc. But her heart's really in Scotland, so she comes back and marries the doctor. And I won't tell you the ending because it's a surprise for my mother. Well, this is, a, as you put it, this gives the... A uh, real outline of how people lived in the 19th century. You went into uh, great detail with your research to make sure this setting is is authentic, right? That's right. Yes. Um, it's hard. Well, I would say living in the 19th century, whether it was in Britain or America, was pretty hard, actually. Um, you know, if um, soldiers who had wounds and things like that. They had no anesthetic and things like that, and having to have a leg cut off it must have been awful. And um, the pain and the sort of um, no proper facilities, well, if you're on the battlefield for washing, etc. Um, and, of course, they don't have um, hand basins. In those days, they used to have to just pour water into a, a bowl and wash that was um, or a tin bath sort of thing, not like the luxuries that we have nowadays. And um, But I think that would really go for England, um, Scotland, and uh, overseas as well. So, um, But I think that um, I would really like my, my readers to um, really enjoy uh, my book. And... Um, because it's, it's really a fast-moving story of a historical romance with intrigue and tragedy set against the backdrop of the American Civil War. But it doesn't always take... The whole story doesn't go into the American Civil War. That's, that's more or less in the first part. Um, and um, her life um, in two different continents, one hot and steamy and the other really cold with snowy winters. Um, combination with romantic and romance, intrigue, tragedy, and um, things like that. Let's talk about some of the other characters uh, that, uh-huh. that obviously 
we know a little bit about Katie and her mom now, Isabel, but talk about some other characters that are very dominant in the story. Right. Well, um, her mother, Isabel, um, goes to stay in America with her elder sister. And there she married an Irishman called William O'Brien. And they have two children, um, Courtney and um, Catherine. Now, Catherine's the same age as Katie. And they um, go riding a lot outside the plantation. And although Katie's really quite a quiet, sensitive lass, um, the other two are more outgoing and always full of fun, etc. And um, there's also um, Courtney, being a young bloke, had um, a mistress called Serena. And um, he, when he went off, had to go off to war, um, Serena was left behind. And eventually, Katie actually meets her up in New Orleans in the marketplace, and um, which is quite good because she becomes great friends and comes to live with Katie um, after her boyfriend is killed. Um, there's... Lots of um, Frank Dempster. Um, well, he he's, he was training to be a solicitor before he actually joined up. The tale really takes. It's not just Katie. It takes about um, what happens really to uh, Courtney, what happens to um, Catherine, and you know during the war and after the war. So it's really a, this group of family that one actually um, is concentrating on. They're, the, they're the, really the main characters. When I write a story, I can see all my characters as if I'm watching a film. Um, and as the story unfolds, the suspense of the tale of each character gets me quite excited and motivated. So I keep on writing more and more. Um, whatever happens to them, whether it's happiness or sadness, I feel I'm carried away with the tale. Um, do you want to read an excerpt from the, the book? Sure, go ahead. That would be great. Um, right. One evening, uh, Katie heard rumpus in the garden. She was alone in the house as her mother and cousins were out visiting friends. Katie complained she had a headache, and she knew Serena was com- returning with some news of the Confederates. She tiptoed out of the house, and to her horror, she saw Frank and a few young Yankees teasing Serena. Um, one soldier uh, was trying to rip off her dress, while she was trying to kiss her. Katie ran to where Frank was standing, laughing his head off with the other soldiers. Serena looked terrified, and she gazed towards Katie for help. Um, Another part is, a figure was leaning against a post near the end of the road. He was dressed in old clothes, with a battered straw hat on the top of his head, pulled down, well down in the front, as if he was shielding his eyes from the sun. The figure caught the attention of Katie, and she gazed at him as the carriage passed by. He stared back, lifting his hat, showing a fair lock of hair, but keeping his gaze on her. She held his gaze, and at once she thought she recognized him. Yes, it was him, Captain Clark Boyd, and she turned around to look back at him. Mother said, Stop looking at strange men, my dear. You will only encourage them, said Isabel, turning to look at her daughter. That's an excerpt from 
the book. Well, thank you for reading that. How do we get your book? Um, well, it's um, actually online at the moment. It um, should be on uh, iUniverse uh, on their um, website, Barnes & Noble on their website, um, Amazon.com, and Britain is Amazon.com UK, um, Borders.com, um, Diadem Books. I see it was actually on Waterson's um, on the website as well as W.H. Smith, but they haven't got the image of the front of the book, the picture of the front of the book as yet. But I'm actually going to market it in the United Kingdom, so I need um, quite a lot of books to go around the bookshops, etc., and newspapers and magazines, so that's what my plan is at the moment. Do you have a website? I haven't actually done a website just yet uh, because I'm preparing my um, marketing but I will do that very soon. Well, we want to thank you, Fiona, for being on iUniverse Radio. Well, I enjoyed it, and I hope that um, all the readers will enjoy reading my book. That was Fiona McDonald. She is the author of her romance novel filled with intrigue and tragedy of the characters in the story. It's called Katie Cameron.